Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here with the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And today I have an old friend and an absolutely brilliant researcher, Dr. Barry Tan, who is well hailed as a trailblazer and the world's foremost expert on an underlooked and ignored vitamin, which is vitamin E. He, in fact, is credited with discovering tocotrienols in three major natural sources, the palm, the rice, and the anetto. He's a scientist first and foremost and earned his PhD in chemistry in New Zealand, and he spent several years as a professor at the U of Mass. Now today, Dr. Tan focuses his research on a lipid-soluble nutrients that reduce and slow chronic conditions. His mission, as he told me off camera, is to deliver the highest quality nutritional products based on sound research, which will help people live longer, live fuller, and live healthier lives. So good day to you, Dr. Barry Tan. Hi, and this is a long time coming, and we have met each other so far back, I don't remember, and I always uh, remember you as a person very strong in nutrition. So I am really glad to be on your show and speaking about this special vitamin E today. Well, we're delighted to have you here because you're such an expert and so brilliant in your research. Now, you know, vitamin E has always been my favorite vitamin, but it doesn't receive a lot of credit these days. When I was very young, Barry, I, I'm from the East Coast, as you may remember. I grew up in Connecticut and I worked in a health food store and the most popular vitamin that people came in to, to talk about and to inquire about, this was back in the 70s, was vitamin E. I had clients, I had customers that were coming in for vitamin E to solve all of their heart issues. They'd been to see the Shoot Brothers up there in Canada. Now in this day and age, people go into a health food store and don't even know what vitamin E is. So can you explain why vitamin E is so important? Yes, I, I will. And I also know why it dipped out. At one point in the 70s, it was very hot favorite. And then a lot of clinical trials were put on in the 80s and 90s. And when they were published towards the end of 90s and 2000, most of it didn't pan out. So people just gave up the ghost on vitamin E. And I started my career at University of Massachusetts in the early 80s. And then I stumbled onto this palm fruit that have this uh, special vitamin E. I did not know that. And then when I did, I found, oh, this is not the normal vitamin E tocopherol that people talked about. That set my stage to study this lesser known vitamin E, not the popular tocopherol and the lesser known tocotrienol. So that was it in the early 1982, 83, those years. So you mentioned the tocotrienol. My audience may not be familiar with that. Can you explain, is that a different type of vitamin E or is it an aspect of vitamin E? Is it typically found in stores these days? Give us a little background. Okay. Now, when people go to a store to buy vitamin E, they would find alpha tocopherol the same alpha tocopherol you find on a cereal box. And that's the one that we've done study on and it didn't work. But it was the first known, so it's known for a long time. Tocotrienol was discovered in the 1960s. Then you fast forward 1980s, University of Wisconsin started to do research on it. Their interest then was to figure out if tocotrienol would reduce cholesterol. I did not know them initially, I knew them later. Then I started in UMass 
uh, working on palm oil to extract the vitamin E. In fact, I discovered that, hey, you have three, four peaks. And then I emailed the funding agency in Malaysia. They said, oh, that's alpha tocopro vitamin E. And I said, oh, there will be only one peak, but I found two, three more. Mm. So, and then I was not happy with just that trite answer. So when I looked, I discovered that there were tocotrienol. So then now to your question, what is tocotrienol? If you think of a, a, a cartoonic picture of a vitamin E, they look like a tadpole, like a sperm, like a big head and then a tail. And then uh, uh, the, the head is the antioxidant part. The tail snug right into the phospholipid. We can cover that on the cell wall later. And then the tail of a tocopherol is longer and saturated. The tail of a tocotrienol is shorter and unsaturated. The triene three double bond and the saturated tail longer on tocopherol uh, stays on the cell membrane. And if I wanted to make it very explicit to, for, for the audience sake, how then is one better than the other? Simple. This is research was done in the early 1970s at UC Berkeley. So the, at the time, they noticed that before they did the work, they noticed that the tocotrienol simply was 50 times more potent. It's almost an unbelievable number. They need to know an answer. So what they did was they put a tocopherol onto a cell. Well, just think of a, to, uh, a cell like a bean shape and mm -hmm. then the phospholipid around it. And then the tocopherol would move around the whole bean, trying to capture free radical from oxygen. It moves around, say, at five miles an hour to, to capture oxygen radical. When you put in a tocotrienol, the tail is shorter. So it spins around, like, uh, uh, for argument's sake, 500 miles an hour. So therefore, it's able to trap oxygen radical 500 compared to five, 100 times faster. Mm -hmm. But they did many studies, and it's about 50 times faster. That's it. And then that was published. And of course, that came after I got into Topotrino. I was very excited. Then I started to do different study, taking advantage of the fact that this lesser known vitamin E is significantly more potent than the plain vanilla vitamin E. So what was the plain vanilla vitamin E made from in the old days? Was it soy mainly? Yes. If they're natural, then it would be soy. If they're synthetic, then it's petrochemical based. That's even worse. And very, so, very worse. And, and for natural one, they are the three sources, like your introduction say. I, so far, I've spent the last 30 years looking. You can only find significant amount from palm, from rice, and then from annatto. So you take your... So tell me about annatto. Is that where you're getting your tocotrienols from? Uh, uh, yes. And when people hear the word annatto, you probably find it if you go to a whole food or health food store, if you buy a half pound, quarter pound of cheese, you look on the back, they'll say that uh, uh, they'll add annatto color. It's a natural carotenoid color, giving it the orange, the yellowish orangey hue. So this annatto is not a strange plant. It's a plant that we use for everything like that. About 23 years ago, I know I'm, you don't have a question. I just throw in because it was just such a beautiful story. It's an epiphany. It's not something I meant to, to go to South America to do. I was looking for lutein, macular degeneration and all that. I went there and I found my giant marigold plant, which have lutein. 
but fate has it literally 20, 30 feet away from me. Is this a natural plant? I wasn't there to look for this. And I, I saw this plant and I was very fascinated. It looked beautiful. The pots looked beautiful. And then I said, hey, let me figure out, isn't that color vixen, which is the color that they put on cheese? Well, carotenoids are inherently very unstable, even more unstable uh, than omega-3 fish oil. And then I said, whoa, there must be some powerful antioxidant that protect it. I have no idea it was going to be a vitamin E, even lesser uh, understanding if we were told, probably a polyphenol, something like that. So I took it home and, and then first I was surprised it was a vitamin E. Second, I was even more surprised that it contained tocotrienol. And third, I was most surprised it's completely free of tocotrienol and only contained the two most potent vitamin E, uh, the delta tocotrienol, gamma tocotrienol. And then since I, by that time, I have already started to work on tocotrienol, I said, you know, I think this is the fate of my life. I should really go after this anato tocotrienol. And that's exactly what uh, we have been doing and I have been doing for the last uh, 20 over years here. So can you combine all these various types of vitamin E? We talked about the tocotrienols that you've just beautifully explained and the to tocopherols. Did they all go together biochemistry wise? Um, I, I initially have thought of that, that they would uh, work together biochemically. And then in 1997, the, my colleague in University of Wisconsin decided to do animal studies. They buried, you know, I, I add the two to two together. One plus one did not add up to two. That is one thing. But he said, but when I add one, meaning tocopherol and toco, trying to add it together. But when I add one plus one, it's less than two. So it's not synergism or additive. It's less than two. So wait a minute. If it's less than two, please figure it out. Now, oftentimes in nature, things are synergistic. But every so often, like 5-10%, they're antagonistic. Precisely what they did was it. It was antagonistic, meaning to say, when alpha-tocopherol is added with tocotrienol given to the animal, the alpha-tocopherol preferentially grabbed the right of passage through to the extent that the tocotrienol was not even absorbed. And when they were absorbed, the tocotrienol is blocked from its function to do what it was supposed to do. And after that, once we knew that, we never add the two together. And, and then now, I, don't, I did not have to do anything more because in the anato, it is naturally tocopherol free. It just contained tocotrienol. And there are no any other natural sources that I'm aware of that have a tocopherol free tocotrienol. Huh. So why would people take, you know, I'm a practitioner, a health practitioner. Why would I recommend a tocotrienol to one of my clients? What would be the conditions? What would be the conditions that would merit the use of a tocotrienol supplementation? And you've written about cellular degradation being at the root of chronic health conditions. But my point is, what particular ones would this call for? Okay. So... Uh, I, I, I won't answer the question as to the benefit of cellular health. Now, over, over the last two, three decades, sometimes things come slower, but the benefit of it is many, many people have published many, many papers on it. So when I analyze the papers, it come across to me as this, that tocotrienol works best in chronic condition. So now 
what are some examples of chronic condition? Initially, it was lipidemia. That was the very first clinical trial we did, and it worked to lower lipid triglyceride for people who have metabolic syndrome, cholesterol for people who have arterial sclerosis. We got it. We published that about five, 10 years ago. And then, and then you fast forward a little bit, there were like 70% or 80% of the published paper in animal study. Every time when I look, it has to do with cancer. Then I said, mm. well, how am I going to do cancer study? I won't be allowed by the FDA. But I decided that, you know, I've given my entire, this is more the passionate side of me coming up. I've given my entire life to study this. I don't even care if FDA allow me to make the claim. If this is going to work on so many animal study, I need to do clinical trial. And I'm very proud to communicate to you and to your audience that we now have seven to eight outstanding clinical trials on people with cancer. And most of them are on women with cancer. Would you like me to tell you the cancer that we are studying? Oh, absolutely. So is, is this an ongoing trial or are these are results that have already been published? Uh, uh, the result for the ovarian cancer cell. And of, I'll tell you in a moment what those are. And of the, of the four or five cancers we're studying are ovarian cancer, breast cancer, of course, these are women cancers, and then for men and women would be lung, uh, colon, and pancreas. So those mm -hmm. are the five cancers. So isn't that, and then now on the ovarian cancer, this is a short answer to this. We use stage four cancer patients. So it's oh actually, and so this is a pretty heart wrenching because there are no more options. And so the standard of care is to use Avastin, which is anti-angiogenic drug to cut the feeding tubes that feed the tumor. And then even with that, after six months, most of them were not surviving because at, these are stage four. Then the other group is Avastin plus tocotrienol, our natural tocotrienol that we made. So like that, they call it medicine. We're not allowed to call it medicine here, but it's the same thing. So they were given 900 milligram, 300 milligram per soft gel taken three times a day with a meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, like that, very simple, nothing complicated. And then about 60, 70% still survive after one year. And after 24 months, two years, 25% of them still surviving. Now, if this were to be a drug, yes, it is true. They, they did not survive. But you know, we started the study with stage four trial. There are no available option and 25% still surviving, that is published. It was published last year. And this year we, and next, we're anxiously waiting for all the other trials to finish. And we could not talk about them until they're published. So, but I'm hopeful. Uh, the other ones would be, um, what did I say? Colon, lung, mm -hmm. and breast pancreas, and, and pancreas. And pancreas and lung. So that leads me, uh, I'm, I'm going to divert just a little bit. You know, we're still in the midst of this pandemic and people are so concerned about lung health. Would this be a helpful supplement in preventing any type of lung type, lung infection, let's say? Yeah, uh, thank you for digressing. This is a great digression thing. Uh, and and, and uh, I, you know, we're all hunkering down because of this and the pandemic thing. 
is uh, you know sometimes you, you you're at home and then you're at work but you're not seeing other it's very unusual time and you and i have never experienced this we couldn't neither you and i were born uh during the spanish flu time you know when there was a lot <laughs> major big thing like that thank we, god we, correct there were to be so so i started to revisit I, I truly did i started to revisit what do i know of any published studies that ever was published with toco trienol and some kind of a lung distress not necessarily a virus or covid or something what with then I, I i decided to look and this is my conclusion it may sound like i am reading but this is uh, with intent because this is what i know i don't want to miss anything in communicating sure go, go so, right ahead okay now in lung distress lung distress is a major component of covid because the virus entered the alveolar sac and then it caused distress and and if it's not fixed then you have to use respirator as you know one in five people who get to the respiratory stage will make it out and then they have a phrase that describes this COVID. It's called SARS, S-A-R-S. It is a functional term uh, attached to uh, uh, the, the virus. It simply stands for severe acute respiratory syndrome. That's it. Exactly as I read it, just to, to classify this communicable disease. Then I said, well, I did. Then I said, well, the studies that we have with Tocotrieno is not SARS. It's non-communicable because we were studying people with COPD and asthma. Then I said, wait a minute. But when they describe this non-communicable disease of COPD and asthma, they have another term, not S-A-R-S, it's A-R-D-S. It's mm. simply acronized for Acute Respiratory, Respiratory Distress, Distress Syndrome. Then I thought, hey, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome for SARS, and acute respiratory distress syndrome, boy, functionally, they all sound the same to me. Even though the origin one is communicable disease and the other one isn't, then I got really excited. I went to read the study, and then they also talk about cytokine storm abatement. So I read closer. Now, this is the exciting part. Yes, it was an animal study. We're trying to figure out how to do a clinical trial on this, but, but right now, everybody is so many things on COVID, so they're not quite ready to do this. But in the animal study, this is what they found. They found that the white blood cell infiltration, the air sac thickness of the, of the alveolar sac, and the mucus hypersecretion, and the ability to inhale and exhale, all these things. So the white blood cell drop, and the air sac thickness drop, the mucus hypersecretion drop and the ability to inhale and exhale increase. Now, only the first one I'll mention that. Why is it of importance that the white blood cell infiltration drop? That behind that is, is the cytokine storm. First, you have the cytokine uh, a surge up because the bug has got into you. So immediately a signal to the white blood cell, you got to go to the lung, you got to go to the lung because the virus is there. That's not, that's all good. So now this white blood cell, neutrophil in other words, they, they zoom into the alveolar sac. That is good. The intention is to kill the bug. So no problem with that. However, our body don't know how to stop. They just, they just call in, call in the, call, almost like calling the artillery. 
they mm-hmm. came and then they keep coming and then keep coming so the next thing is the the lung is inundated with white blood cell and then the person can breathe that's it that is a cytokine storm so when they when they put tocotrienol in animals that they're able to inhibit the white blood cell it didn't stop if you stop the white blood cell then the white blood cell is not there to kill uh, the virus or the bacteria or the whatever in place so this study been done so then the take home message would be simply this if someone were to take 300 to 500 milligram tocotrienol at least i'm doing that so whether i have i'm glad that i don't have test positive for covid but at least i protect my lung so that in any likelihood they'll be good but the application uh, uh, so that i'll be honest with it was initially done for people with asthma and copd and it helped them mm. so then if somebody were to be covid challenge or approximating to that this cannot be something that would be uh, uh, doing the opposite you're doing positively for them so thank you for the chance for discussing this so does this would you say that the tocotrienols also help with oxygen delivery because i've heard that covid this particular covid-19 may also affect oxygen delivery yes the oxygen delivery thing having to do has something to do with the mucous membrane the mucous membrane is the ability when when the when the uh, a neutrophil comes in the neutrophil surrounds the covid uh, virus so when it when it does then the mucous membrane is formed so then the oxygen part comes in because if the alveolar sac that mean the breathing part the oxygen carbon dioxide exchange if there's too much mucus there then the oxygen and co2 cannot exchange properly so it's not it's not only that they need more oxygen as one component you also require that the mucus is not laden there because if the mucus is laden there then the co2 and the o2 cannot exchange properly so they are they are basically pathologically asphyxiating even though you have oxygen so so this removal of mucus is a very important factor mm so we're finding at least we're learning from you dr tan that number one that the tocotrienols are very helpful in various types of heart conditions am i correct yes heart condition uh, uh, I, I when the heart condition because of arteriosclerosis and then what did i say and then uh, also it's good for the other chronic condition like metabolic syndrome mm-hmm. metabolic syndrome is a broad cluster so we decided to zone in on the metabolic syndrome on people with fatty liver disease. Yeah, which is fa- which is fascinating. So how does this work with is it the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease NAFLD? Yes, we are studying that uh, uh, and uh, of course the audience may or may not know it was only 1982 when this was discovered by Mayo Clinic when a person had a fatty liver and the doctor was a little asked the patient are you drinking a lot of alcohol and then the patient said no I'm, I'm not an alcohol drinker at all and to which the doctor was getting a little bit indignant because the liver tissue looked like they survived and this was so assuming that, that the patient is lying or something and then the patient said no I'm not so eventually he wrote a piece that said that this days a a way to get the cirrhotic liver they had nothing to do and hence the disease is so lengthily called and clumsily called 
non-alcohol fatty liver disease. So we are studying that. So I'll give you the shorthand of the study. Very exciting. Uh, we did a three-month study, double-blind placebo control, and then we essentially see that the fatty liver index, that they, they scan the liver, uh, the fat is reduced by 11%. We also did the study for six months, an independent study like that, the fatty liver index reduced by 16%. Each of these patients take about 600 milligrams. Now, and then the C-reactive protein, I just give it to you the shorthand answer, the C-reactive protein drop, so the inflammation to the liver. Now, most people understand the C-reactive protein is a measurement of inflammation, but I don't know if everybody uh, is aware or know this. this the C-reactive protein is a protein. It's a, pro, it's a stress protein made. That's why it tells us if we are inflamed or not. But many people do not know that C-reactive protein is actually produced by the liver. So mm -hmm. therefore, now not only is it inflammation, now we are studying the inflammation of the liver. So this is as good as it's going to get. So the CRP drop. And then uh, to the patient, we, we also find out, found out from them, we did not set up the experiment to study this. And it's very easy for them to know themselves. And that it, after three months, and now these are overweight people because they, of the dietary uh, matters. They, after three months, they lost 10 pounds. Mm. And after six months, they lost 17 pounds. Even though there was not a design of the paper, remember, weight loss is usually one of two weeks. And, and I usually stay clear of, away from that. But you know, if a person has fatty liver and overweight, losing 10 and 17 pounds over three months to six months, that's... There's nothing to sneeze at. That, that's a very positive sign. So I, very. And because of that, uh, before I, I give the uh, back to you, we, we are so convinced of this and we, we decided to do a 12-month study. So now it's the same study, same amount. So there's no dose dependent, just time dependent. This time, we're going to do CAT scan. So we will know precisely inflammation in the liver. God willing, if this thing goes through, we should be able to apply and request the FDA for a structure function claim because we will, at that time, we will have three independent study, one of three, one of six, uh, one of three, six, and now with a 12 month study. So if we can clearly hone in on this, then tocotrienol should be allowed as a way to mitigate chronic condition of the liver when it is fatty. Mm, which is marvelous. So you've given us a possible treatment for some of these diseases that people have so much fear over, whether it's pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. Now you're talking about fatty liver disease. It makes me wonder whether there are any applications for this in terms of prevention. Does, does this particular substance have any anti-aging benefits? Okay, uh, now we're circling back to the question that uh, we, we skipped to get straight to what chronic condition. The, the picture I wanted to paint for the audience to a normal healthy audience is this. I don't know how many people talk like this, but sometimes I like to make it simple. In every human body, whether we are 100 pounds or 150 pounds or something like that, we have about 38 trillion cells. Now that's a big number. So if you size it down, 
is approximately 5,000 times the population of the Earth. Every human body has 38 trillion cells. Now, a cell looks like a bean. It is covered with cell walls all around, and the cell wall is essentially fat. Now, I know the word antioxidant is used like mad by a lot of people, and it becomes trite because everybody say that. I will help you to screen the grass of the shaft on this. Very easy to do it. The primary usage that I care about when I use the word antioxidant is lipid antioxidant. Why do I say that? If there is a roadkill on an animal on a summer day, or you put a stick of butter on a summer day out, and then you smell the rancid thing, it is not the protein. It is not the DNA. It is not uh, the, the mineral, even though they can get oxidized. The first thing they smell off is the fat. I can 100% assure you. When you throw the fish away because you stick in the refrigerator for too long, it's the fat that gives you the fishy smell. When a, when a meat that is not cooked, it's, oh man, I forgot to cook the meat. And then it turned back. That off smell is the fat. So th that to say, the first thing they get oxidized are the fatty tissue. So when they come to the human application, I'm also trying to be very simplistic. Mm -hmm. all, all the cell wall are fat. And, and in the 1980s, there was a famous, Aust famous Austrian professor. He decided to do the test nobody wanted to do. What exactly are all the important antioxidants in the human cell? Nobody asked the question, but he decided to do it. Would you believe it? 90% of those antioxidants in the cell wall, which means protecting the fat, they are vitamin E. Hmm. The remaining 10% is the one, the thousands and thousands of other antioxidants, but they protect the body, but they don't go into this, they won't go into the lipid cell wall. So therefore, it's okay. So the vitamin E are the molecule. And then earlier on in the show, I explained that a tocotrienol is able to spin around the cell 50 times faster. So now, if you add all two and two together, if you want to protect your cell wall for a normal, healthy person, not otherwise sick, not otherwise have any chronic condition, I would say that to take somewhere between 100 to 200 milligrams to do nothing else but to protect your cell wall of the 38 trillion cell from oxidation damage because we need oxygen to live. One in every 10,000 oxygen we breathe is going to go out of whack and turn roll. When they turn roll, that's when you need the vitamin E to capture that radical so it would not damage your cell wall. I hope I make that clear. <laughs> yes, it's very clear. So a healthy, so for preventative purposes, you're saying 100 to 200 IUs, yes? That is correct. One to 200 milligrams. The FDA then now don't allow the usage of IU anymore, just the actual milligram weight. So yes, about one to 200 milligrams for a healthy individual who is otherwise have no disposition to any chronic conditions. Okay, so, but for those that have a chronic condition, how much would you recommend? Okay, I would say for people who have mild chronic condition, probably double that, so 200 to 400 like that. And then for people who have advanced chronic conditions, such as the study 
on the cancer I mentioned to you, then they will need more like 400 to 600. Now the 400 to 600, even though they're on the higher dose, they need to have a load up phase because vitamin E is lipid soluble. If they take it on the first month or two, the load up phase, and then they can dial down after that, like we do uh, with CoQ10 because they're very lipid soluble, there's a load up phase, and then you dial down later. But if I were to be a cancer survivor, I would just take four to 500 and just stay at that. I, for example, I, I am about 125 pounds, you know, I'm in my 60s. Um, I do have a, 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 a genetic hypercholesterolemia, nothing to do with my food, my liver overproduced cholesterol. So uh, I take 300 milligrams a day with a meal. Uh, I was going to ask you why you're taking so many without <laughs> prodding too much. So that's, that's easily explained. But my question is, I don't necessarily see the tocotrienols available in the stores. So where do we get the one that's made from annatto? Oh, thank you. If, if it is made from annatto too, uh, some companies who make it, first you should buy only from annatto because palm and rice contain 25 to 50% alpha tocopherol. And then those are the bad guys that put the brakes on the function of tocotrienol we discussed earlier. So you want it only on an adult, but if you care further, then you can, uh, our trade name is called Delta Gold. Some company put it in, some company don't like that. And by the way, American River, our company is the only company in the US that make tocotrienol and only natural sources. We don't use anything else, just purely physical means to extract them. If you ever come by this way on a Western Mass, uh, uh, we, you can come and see our facility. So a respected uh, company that I recommend people to go to is a company called Designs, or plural, Designs for Health. And if you're a health professional, you can go straight to their website to, to do that. If not, Designs for Health also sell them on Amazon. So I think that they simply call it Anato E. That's their product, just like that. Anato E. I want everybody to remember that. So. You've answered that question for me. And I know that you have a book called The Truth About Vitamin E, which has been long awaited for. How do my listening audience get a copy of your book? Thank you for asking. I know this book is a label of love. And most of the books that I wrote, they are scientific symposium series. But people have asked me, can you put in simple terms? And then I decided to do that. I did not crack the book with all kinds of scientific jargon. I referenced it in the end. So if people wanted to go search, they can do. So the book is written for easy read. And so, and we did it uh, uh, free. So you can download the whole book. So if you come to my website, barrytan.com, and Barry is spelled a little bit with affectation, B-A-R-R-I-E, tan, T-A-N.com. And then since you hear it from the first lady of nutrition here. You could just type first lady and then you, you can download the copy of the book. If your audience would prefer to have a hard copy, you send me an email and I'd be glad to send you an autographed copy. It's about uh, 60, 70 pages, uh, easy read uh, on that. How <laughs> lovely. Thank you so much. But my next question is going to be our final question because we're coming to the end of our of our very 
informative, enlightening interview with you. But I truly wonder what is next up for Barry Tan? What's on the horizon? <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I, I've always been fascinated with things of nature, uh, Dr. Gittleman, and, and because plant makes them and they don't speak to you. So we have to go look and search for them. I discovered a compound from a plant and the, the compound is a length, lengthy spelling. It's called geraniol geranol. I'll spell it out G-E-R-A-N-Y-L, G-E-R-A-N-I-O-L. I just acronized it to G-G. I found out that this compound, uh, it is required in the human body, the simple answer, is required in the body to make protein. So when we go older and have sarcopenia, it helps. Mm. It is also required for the synthesis of CoQ10. The entire molecule of GG is in CoQ10. The entire molecule of GG is also in menoquino. Most people know MK7, which is produced in the gut. Mm -hmm. But most people do not know. Menoquinone 4 is the most abundant vitamin K in the body. Mm -hmm. And the body uses normal vitamin K1, K, and GG to make MK4 inside the body, not in the gut. So it's not like fermentation. So therefore, GG is required for this too. So I just thought, wow, this is a real endogenous nutrient. And I discovered this compound. So we're trying to figure out how to help people in muscle growth, mm. a retention of muscle as you grow old. And of mm. course, if someone were to take statin drug or women who are taking bisphosphonate uh, to pre mm. prevent calcium loss, they stifle the ability of the body to make a GG. That is the reason why people have myopathy, not because their CoQ10 drops. The CoQ10 is required to be made by GG. So the real reason behind CoQ10 drop is because of GG. And studies have shown again and again that when people take statin drug and the myopathy, the singular reason is because the GG drop. I would love when this thing comes, you can do an interview on me on the GG because that is highly relevant. You know, I'm writing a new book called Radical Longevity and the sarcopenia, which is so underreported, is a real problem as we grow older. So muscle wasting is a um, a problem out there that we have very few natural solutions for. So I definitely will be in touch, Dr. Barry Tan. Oh, well, thank you so much. So I'm glad that our hour disappeared so fast. So this is a a thrill and a delight. I hope that this information will be highly useful to your vast audience that follow you uh, faithfully. So thank well, you so you're, much. Well, you're a sweetheart. It's so nice to be able to connect again. And I want to thank you for being my most esteemed guest and colleague today on the First Lady of Nutrition interview. This is Anne Louise Gittleman saying goodbye. Good luck. I'll see you all next time for a next podcast for the First Lady of Nutrition. Goodbye all and God bless.